we as a profession have so much influence over the built environment, right? We have so much sort of control and power into the sort of physical barriers at play for millions of people in this country. You know, if we talk about one in five or 20% of people have a disability, then someone has to do something. I, I feel a sense of personal responsibility rather than a, you know, a, a sort of personal drive or think I'm going to benefit from it greatly. I know that something has to change, something has to, to shift because the challenges that I face, I don't think are particularly fair or reasonable. And I don't really see anyone making great strides in this area. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a significant challenge. I don't think, you know, I think I'll, I'll make a tiny little impact, but if that you know, amounts to anything, then it will be worthwhile. My, my sort of caveat is, has always been, I recognize I'm a very lucky, privileged individual. You know, I had a, had a good education, good family, and I've sort of got all the things I generally need to have a, a, you know, a fairly happy and healthy life. Uh, my wheelchair is very fancy wheelchair. It's sort of, um, you know, a Mio. It's a Segway technology, which is really fast and nimble and fun. So, you know, that side of things is really enjoyable. So I recognize that I'm very fortunate and very lucky, and I probably would be fine if, as it is, right? But I know that, as I say, millions of other people don't have those sorts of privileges. And so, yeah, I, it's, I need to sort of lay a, a, a better pathway or an easier pathway. And if that means that I have to do public speaking or fortunate enough to go on a podcast like this, then that's what you have to do. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, the podcast for surveyors who just love what they do. I'm Marion Ellis, and today I catch up with RICS Matrix Award winner, George Hooton, a general practice commercial surveyor based in Bristol and working his way through his APC. I've done many podcast interviews or chats, as I like to call them, with surveyors. And I have to say what a privilege it is to have had the opportunity to speak quite frankly with George about his disability and the physical challenges he faces as a young man and how, as a surveyor, he wants to make a difference for others. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, George. Thank you for having me. Yeah, now you're um, over in Bristol, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a bit about what you do there as a surveyor, what flavour are you? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a general practising surveyor, so I do a bit of everything from agency and lease advisory, management, all those sorts of things. So I work for Hooson's Commercial, which is a, a private independent practice here in Bristol. And we're, we're quite a, a small team um, of some very competent experts in their fields. And we're, we're a small team, but we, we like to dabble in a bit of everything. And so we're a general practice uh, that covers the Southwest, but as I say, based in Bristol. And it's, an, it's a nice, you don't come across too many, or I don't anyway, general practice practices, <laughs> if that's what you call them uh, these days. But a great, you're doing your APC. Is that right? So it's a great place to 
apart from a family business, which I'll ask you about, but to get sort of a good variety, which is one of the things you need for, for getting chartered? Yeah, it seems it seems very rare. I, I do know very few general practice surveyors. It seems that people are typically either siloed or, or personally choose to focus in a specific area. And that's understandable because it's, it's not easy. It's a very much a balancing act. So, yes, it, it is it is quite rare. Obviously, with APCs, you know, people do their rotations. You know, everyone has to do their valuations and often go into sort of agency or lease advisory in, in some capacity. But it is quite rare for someone to, to do all, all of those together. I think, personally, they're all obviously complementary. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, agency helps with management and your relationships with your tenants can help with your lease advisory. So, you know, all, all these sorts of things go in together. And, and from my perspective, it, it helps me get a better and broader understanding of, of my own work as well as the industry. And you said it's a family business. So did you always want to be a surveyor from no. the age of seven? No, absolutely <laughs> Tell us a bit not. about your journey, how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as, as you say, so my father set up his own practice about 30 years ago. My mother, not too dissimilar to yourself, uh, set up a, a residential. She was in um, the, the residential market. She had a residential agency um, and a serviced apartment business. So we very much come from a, a property background. But I think, you know, growing up, people would come up to you and say, are you going, you know, are you following the parents into property? And I went, absolutely not. You know, I think you, you tend to try and rebel against maybe a little bit. So I, I tried to stay away from it as long as I could. But I think once you know the industry, all the benefits it provides, the people that are in it, it's um, very difficult to, to avoid. So I did actually do an undergraduate in politics and international relations. I then started going down the sort of civil service route, working for parliament, but ended up doing my master's in real estate and, and finding myself here sort of four or five years down the line and um, still here quite happy. So yeah, not the and, and do your parents still work in the business? What's it like working with, with family members? Because quite frankly, mine would drive me nuts yeah it's, it's definitely not advisable it has its it has its challenges so uh my mother retired those were sort of separate businesses my father still very much in in the business working so it is that i i personally love it both my parents obviously running their own businesses it tends to be the conversation as you, as you grow up and you can't help but eavesdrop and hear and maybe throw your two cents into the conversation as well. So it felt very natural and we're a very close family. So I know whole, it's worked out very well. Yeah, I know a few, um, and we've had on the podcast a few daughter and father surveying businesses or just be, just before we started the, the podcast, I was <clears throat> chatting to you about Michael Holden. So so we both, both got a bit of a frog in our throats. And um, when I <laughs> the day I interviewed Michael, I had a, a really tickly cough and, I I paused it so that I could cough, but then disappeared, got a cup of tea, came back and Michael was still talking. I digress, but Michael is a very much a family man and has a you know lots of his sons and things in the in the business. But and I, I guess it's it's interesting when you have a, a business like that and you bring the the family in because it, it is something you must be very families are very proud of. But then when you've got other people that come in, that's when the or you know the 
to say outsiders, but I mean non-family members, it changes the dynamics of, of how things are and quite a complicated thing to to navigate. But I suppose you just do, don't you? You've just got to be, you know, sort of open and make sure it's a well-run business. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it was it's it's never been just the two of us, you know. He he's always had you know his partners in the business and so i, I, was I guess what i was saying i guess what i was thinking there was just expectation right yeah you know? no that, that, that's totally understandable and um you know this was not my original plan let's put it that way um you know i finished my master's sort of tail end of 2019 and so very very quickly the pandemic hit and, you know, I needed to start my APC process and, you know, a conversation was had sort of going, you, you know, you need to start uh, you know, amassing this experience. I worked for a developer previously, but, you know, I needed to start my APC. And so he said, well, why don't you sort of come in for a bit and, you know, build up your experience. Once the pandemic dies out a bit, you can go off. Um, but unfortunately, I caught the bug and haven't, haven't left yet. So... So um, we, I came across you at the Matrix Awards. I was going to say Young Surveyor of the Year Award then, but the Matrix Awards back in October uh, of this year. We're recording this in uh, in December. Don't know where the time's gone. And uh, I was there with Chris Moran, who kindly invited me. He was one of the nominees for the residential sector, I think it was, uh, category. And um, I was there sort of to the side at the, at the back and they called their name out. And George Hooten, has, he's won. And I looked over and I saw you whiz right up. And I thought, crikey, he's keen. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I looked, I realised that you were on wheels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, yeah, well, I, I was surprised about. And then I thought, oh, crikey, you know, I just made an assumption there that you're really keen to run up <laughs> for this award. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was the, the glass of wine I'd had for, or, or whatever. Yeah, uh, but tell, tell me a bit, of, uh, a bit about the awards. Had you ever been to those awards before? No. Have you been nominated? Tell me a bit about your experience of it. No, no. My my experience was, was very positive. It wasn't something I was very aware of to be truthfully honest so I didn't really know what to expect going into it I think you know as you sort of touched upon I'm a, I'm a wheelchair user I have a physical disability it's a, a sort of um, a neuromuscular condition and so I sort of started using a wheelchair about the age of 25 um, or 24 25 something like that so it's you know only been a couple of years really that I, I needed to use that but but recognizing when I when I came into the industry and I started networking and I started meeting people I really recognized that I was you know the only one that sort of looked like myself you know I didn't see anyone else in the industry that sort of resembled me and um, that that's a very difficult thing to do I think networking on the whole or putting yourself out there is is difficult for anyone but it's even harder when you know maybe the audience doesn't necessarily reflect you, or it's it's definitely an extra challenge. So sort of recognizing that, recognizing that the sort of the the challenges in the industry, the general inaccessibility of the built environment, I've sort of taken on a, a sort of personal responsibility to raise awareness for the disability community, for accessibility in the built environment. And so through my work of that, 
I've met more and more people who sort of said, have you seen this? Or do you know this person? Um, as you sort of kindly done, you know, introduce me to other people that you think it's worth me having a conversation with. And so that's sort of how I found my way into organizations like Matrix and uh, hence the awards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and congratulations, because they're not, not an easy thing to... Well, I thought I had no no chance, to be truthfully honest. I thought at <laughs> best it was going to be a nice dinner and, uh, you know, a fun event. I was up against some very, very impressive surveyors from some very impressive firms as well. So, yeah, I had no expectations. It very much came as a surprise. So, yeah, I'm but very, very and, good. And one of the things, you know, when I've, when I've chatted to um, people who've been nominated or, or won before, it's great to get the accolade, but then it's the, well, what do you do with this? All of a sudden you've got a platform, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, pl- I've plonked you on a on a podcast here now. Have you done a podcast before? No, no, no okay. No, this is the first one. So, so this will be, I was going to say the most unprofessional one, both the most informal one you'll, <laughs> you'll probably do to, to start you right. off. But you, but you have this platform and with that, again, comes responsibility and expectation of, you know, you put yourself out there to talk about particular issues or to champion you know, whatever, and all of a sudden you're, you can put the pressure on yourself. Am I doing enough? You know, what do I do? How do I put myself out there? And, you know, that that's quite a pressure, I think, particularly for younger people, if I can put it, put it that way, you're all, all you youngsters. But the more, when it's important to you, you push yourself through it. You know, so you do uncomfortable things like go on a podcast with Marion Ellis or you, you, you know, you, you learn new skills, you do new things because it's worth it because of the message that you're you're putting out there. And, and it really matters. And disability is something that for lots of different reasons, I've become aware of more these days. And you've got the hidden disabilities. So we're talking about neurodiversity, but the physical challenges that people have are still, we're still way behind where we we, we should we should be and that and it just seems incredibly cruel you know and I and you know as you were you were talking there I was just reflecting when I was pregnant and I used to commute we'd get a badge that said baby on board and you can see the the bump but when you're in a in a situation where you, you said you didn't get you know in a wheelchair sort of straight away so you've obviously had a bit of a, a journey to get there you wouldn't have a badge that says I might need to sit down sometime <laughs> <laughs> and what would people think of that yeah. you know and and there's yeah. a lot of judgment around around some of it but I guess you sort of see that everywhere now do you or has it really changed perspective yeah most definitely my as you sort of say my disability has changed it, it, it sort of deteriorates and so you know it's been from the built environment being a bit tricky to very tricky and and I've really sort of understood that the layers are now reaching the point of requiring wheelchair access you understand you know how how difficult that is and your experience of of the world very much changes it's it's very difficult when we're talking about D&I and diversity and inclusion and things like that how how do you how do you deal with these very diverse and difficult groups? You know, in disability itself, it's a very broad community. Um, and so how do you represent such an array of people? And, you know, disability is, you know, probably one of the hardest groups to, to facilitate when we talk about having a diverse, diverse workforce, because it's not just about trying to encourage 
greater gender equality or, or people of, sort of marginalized groups or ethnic minorities, whereby it's more of a shift of, of culture and, you know, reducing some biases in the workplace, you know, very, very difficult to do. And you still have to do it for disability. But you are talking about arguably retrofitting buildings, which is very complex and very expensive but also our, our transport system is is very bad um you know i was in london at the start of the week and you know getting on getting on trains you know there's no level access you rely on people and have to hope someone's there to sort of get you on you know you might have bikes blocking access and things like that and then the london underground is a nightmare for everyone and um, seemingly a lot lot worse for myself, especially when people, you know, even who work, I was quite amazed when, when I went there and I was trying to get from Paddington to Waterloo. I must have spoken with five different people in the station, each giving me different answers as to which stations are accessible, what has step free, you know, what is, you know, which have escalators and things like that. So, yeah, we, we have a... a big, big challenge here. And um, I suppose the difficulty, you know, going back to what you were saying about before, there's a lot of personal responsibility to get out there. You, you know, it's an important cause and you feel like you need to do something about it. But certain things are, you know, enough to put someone off entirely. Mm. Well, you're just talking about this this journey into London. I'm just thinking that's exhausting. And if you, you, you weren't confident enough... Mm. You know, you wouldn't ask five people where to go. You know, you've got to learn to advocate for your for yourself, and it's good that you've been able to do that. But just getting to that event sounds absolutely exhausting. I hope it was worth it. Yes, yes. <laughs> but these are the things that we've got we've got to consider, haven't we? And and I suppose being working in the built environment sector, mm. you know, it's almost if we can't look after our own, almost, you know, then how can we then design and support built environment that that serves everybody we've got to start noticing some of these things yeah exactly and i'm i'm not going to say that i have those answers but it does seem that it seems remarkable to me that we still seem to be building things that don't make sense to me you know why we have we're building new train stations that don't have level access sort of confuses me you know i I should caveat that, you know, I'm not an engineer, you know, that there may be some sort of justification why they can't do it. But to me, it seems like a very obvious sort of solution. I think one of the greatest difficulties of, of having a disability or disability as a whole, I suppose, is the fact that by having an inaccessible built environment really takes a lot of the independence out of it. You have to rely on someone to get a ramp to put you on the train. And if that person isn't there or they're not sufficiently skilled or knowledgeable, as I sort of touched on before, that's that's really difficult. So yes, I mean it, it makes it makes things a lot more difficult. But I'm and, I'm and the thing is Yeah, and the thing is is there's there's benefits for all because if you're talking about step free access on and off the train and that you need help with that, if it was step free that would help everybody with dodgy knees. Oh, it yeah. would help mothers with babies and, exactly. and little toddlers and, and whatnot. Mm. And I suppose there's, di- there's 
it, there's a different way of thinking of it rather than thinking of the list of the the what ifs or what if this person had or what if you know when there's almost like a all the different various diversity needs that we had and think of it as a to-do list well how you know sort of like twisting and contorting yourself to accommodate every single different variety that's out there whether we are better off approaching it as a well if we know that everybody is different mm. and we approach it knowing, knowing these things that if everybody is consistently different that's the, the constant yeah I, I hope this is right but i think universal design I think I think that's the right term. the The idea is if you sort of built, if you build for the elderly community, you know, those potentially with young children, those with disabilities, and things like that, you're not taking away anything from those that are more able. I think it was Premier Inn did a, did a quite good job. They did one of their rooms using universal design. Now, at first glance, it looked like an ordinary room. You know, it looked like this sort of standard hotel room. But they did certain things. I think it was hollowing out the underside of, of the bed so that, you know, someone could put a hoist or something underneath there. So they're sort of building or, or constructing things in a certain way that allows everyone to use it, but you're not actually taking away. So rather than designing for the majority, by designing for everyone, um, you know, everyone can can now use those facilities in the same way that's a really nice i like that term universal design mm. if it's not if it's not a thing we can say you invented it well there we go <laughs> yeah i hope that is right i'm gonna have to but, do that oh. yeah that's 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 a nice way to a really nice way to to approach these things and i think it's just a kind thing to do you know it's it's kind to think about the person and not just the the physical aspects of it but i, I think you know the mainly the thing is it makes sense. You know, we, we have an aging population. And so we need to now factor this growing demographic in. When we talk about diversity in the workplace, when I go and I do sort of panels or I, I you know, go to these events and I speak with these people, what's really interesting is the, the conversations changing or the, the mentality is changing. Whereas before it was seen as sort of a kindness or a charitable thing to do, you know, give jobs to these people, you know, they deserve an opportunity as well kind of thing. And now it's shifting to, well, actually now it makes business sense. Yeah, right? yeah. By having a diverse workforce, you now have a more creative team. You know, you're able to problem solve challenges when people talk specifically, again, about disability. The, the reason it's front of mind is because I went to the Ability RE event for International Day of People with Disabilities on Tuesday. So sort of front of mind and one of the speakers sort of called out to the crowd and says, you know, what are, why do you think that we should be employing more people with disabilities in in real estate? And, you know, the thing is, we're, we're really good problem solvers. We're really good at adapting because we have to, you know, it's it's, it's part of our sort of daily thing where you know you are faced with a barrier and now you have to find a creative solution to that and so that's very much benefited me in, in my career as well because I think it's shaped my way of thinking and um, I th I think just on that I think it's you're not just problem solvers you're positive problem solvers 
in, is finding solutions to things rather than coming in with a oh can't do that can't do that that's yeah. a problem you know it's it's coming in with constructive solutions because you know how to get from one station to another <laughs> and what's involved and yeah. and what would be you know what would be better but i think it comes back to that whole wider diversity piece of the more diverse a group of people you have around the table the better decisions that are made because you've got so many different perspectives or you know somebody who knows somebody and can find can find out you've got that wider wider pool and and that's where you get get to that point of okay well if you then got the focus and direction okay well what are we here to do we're here to get someone from a to b let's make that happen what can we do to to positively to to do that but also you then you know and as you were talking I was thinking about something I read many years ago about I think architects had designed some gla- a glass staircase mm-hmm. you could sort of see up which was all very interesting but no woman would ever wear a skirt going up and down mm-hmm. you know so there's just or sort of just all of these visually impacts yeah you know, exactly how are you gonna see that yeah um... and and you know we've talked about sort of the new design of things and and in principle you have a blank sheet of paper if you get the right people around the table then you've got the best hope of creating something that is you know universal to all the difficulty that comes though particularly you know here in the UK everything is old mm-hmm. you know you mentioned sort of retrofit and we've got to adapt so much I mean we're not very good at adapting it anyway because we're, we're very our heritage is very close to our hearts to mo- in most of the UK, but that's a whole other different area, isn't it? It is. I think that there are fantastic examples of grade one listed buildings that actually, on the whole, are very accessible. The Houses of Parliament, when I worked there briefly, was actually very surprisingly accessible. And it's one of the oldest buildings and, and probably the most protected building. But that was probably firstly to accommodate the sort of elderly peers, you know, who didn't want to climb four four staircases. They started putting in these lifts. So there are great examples of how you can do it while keeping the heritage of the building intact. But I'm all for listed buildings. You know, I I think we, we have to do it. But if it doesn't serve our purpose entirely, then there is a little bit of a problem there. I think we we can and and technology is changing you know there are ways of doing it you know you don't just have to put really ugly ramp to the side of it you know i think that there are creative ways of doing it while keeping the building intact the the difficulty we have is in my view that the legislation at the moment is too broad and, and not very clear as to responsibilities so I, I went to my MP and I sort of said, look, I'm very interested in this space. Can you please tell me, you know, the key pieces of legislation re- regarding accessibility, whose responsibility it is and things like that. And, um, you know, you had to go around all the ministers and get, you know, half a dozen responses, all, all which came back somewhat vague, you know, and we, we have what is you know, referred to as a reasonable adjustments, you know, a, a business or a property owner and tenant, what have you, has to make reasonable adjustments. What What is reasonable and, and to, to whom? My definition of reasonable is, is probably going to be a bit different to yourself. And then again, it's, you know, it, it seems to be up to the local authorities to actually enforce these things. And they're obviously quite 
swamped at the moment. So as I say, I'm not an expert. I'm still very much trying to learn and understand this space. But um, we, we face some some very, very significant challenges. And I think it's best captured in commercial agents, uh, commercial sphere. And so we do a lot of work on on high streets, on Bristol's high streets. As well, well as I was just about I was just about to ask you about about your work, because, mm. well, you, you say, you know, you're still new new to this and and finding your way way through it but there's power in that you know in this sort of curiosity of well why do we do things this way you know and as you were talking I'm just thinking do we do we really need legislation now yes we do need legislation I, I, I get that but as property professionals who understand this or should understand this we're in a position of power to 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 be in a position where we can make a difference on some of these things and we don't need permission from from anybody to 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 operate in in different ways you know for for the greater good but you know as surveyors we've got a royal charter to act in the public advantage you know there's a lot we could do with do with that if we if we really thought really thought harder about it but I was going to ask you about your sorry go on on. no 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 I was just going to say I think the the first thing the first stage that we have to do and you've already sort of done it, which is when when you had your child and you sort of had to push them around in a, a push chair and what have you, and you start actually probably for the first time really seeing, oh gosh, how many stairs are down to get to this underground? I have to go all the way around there to get to the ramp and things like that. And sort of that opened your horizon a little bit. For from my friends, it's also been quite eye opening for them. You know, we walk. I make quite a point of it now, obviously, you, you know, to try and raise awareness. You know, we sort of go down a sort of high street and I go, I can't get in that one. 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 Well, they come to me and they go, since I saw you last, I've been looking at all these things and I did not know how bad it was. So I think the first stage is very much making it a little bit more front of mind, right? Getting getting people to actually have a look. Now, you know, a, a good way of sort of doing it is if you had a, a horrendous accident, worst case scenario, you have a horrendous accident. And um, let's say you, you may have to use, uh, you know, a, a walking aid or let's say a wheelchair for, for ease. Um, could you access your home? Could you access your office? Could you access, um, you know, your favorite shop? Could you access your cinema? How much of your life um, or the things that you enjoy how much more difficult would it be, if at all possible? And for a great deal of people, it would dramatically shift their way of life. Um, and I, I personally don't think that's quite right. But I think that's a good way of doing it. As you were, as you were talking there about, and in my head, I imagine you're doing a pub crawl down Bristol High Street. I can't get in there. I can't, can't yeah. get in there. I've um, got one this afternoon as well, so that's uh, quite good. <laughs> for Christmas. But as you were thinking, there's so much that that we could do as as allies, and uh, you know, so there's the you know the planning the routes of, of where you're going to go and thinking about how how you would access it. And again, that's a a thing that we the a kind thing that that we can do. But I wonder how much do people come to you and say, you know, we're going to meet up for a beer where do you want to go and how much you're seen as do you have the solutions to this? Mm. Do you know the best places to go where you can get your wheels in? Yeah. Yeah. It, it very much, the responsibility is on you, right? So, you know, 
I think one challenge that we also face is that access isn't always clear and obvious. So if someone says, oh, do you want to go for dinner at this restaurant? It's my responsibility to call up the restaurant, ask it various questions. Do you have access? How do you get to the toilets? How, you know, all, all these sorts of things. It's your responsibility to, to do those checks. And it's, it is quite a responsibility. You often have to sort of go on Google Street View, try and look at the front, you know, what have you. You know, it, it very much is your, your sort of responsibility, which is tiresome, uh, I think. So, yes, it is. But sometimes even, even other surveyors, other practices, you might say, you know, let's go for coffee, let's grab a drink, something like that. How about here? And I go, well, I can't get in there. And he's like, How about here? Yeah, also can't get in there. Now, know, this actually, this, this actually sort of happened when I introduced you to somebody in Bristol that I knew. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, do you want to come up to a, I don't know if it was a Matrix event or a local event, I can't remember what it was. And you're like, yeah, that'd be great, but I can't get in there. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. you know, and Happens yeah, just, 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 yeah, just, um, and then it all gets a bit awkward until we just say, right, okay, you know, let's, what, what can we do about it? How do you address that awkwardness, or do people not get awkward? I, I don't think it's awkward. I personally, I, I don't think it's maybe at the start, may, maybe it was a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty confident in myself now, and I quite like making the point. You know, I think it's a point that needs to be made. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's just circumstance. And so actually, now I think the good thing that's come out of it is now that is front of mind for him when another event is organized, you know, and he sort of says, oh, I'd like George to come along to this, but hang on, before I ask him, let me check, right? So I think those sorts of things are very positive on the whole, because, you know, it makes people more aware, you know, how I sort of adapt to that is in my mind, I've sort of got a map of Bristol and I know, you know, all the places, or, you know, all the roads that are accessible and are good. So if they said, I'm in this area, do you want to meet for whatever? I, you know, I know two or three places that are fine. And so I think, you, again, you adapt. But that makes it a very small world, doesn't it? For, for a lot of people of, well, I know my town and this is these are the roads and I can and can't. And this is what comes back to this sort of universal, you know, of how do you get to London? How do you cross yeah. trains? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the map is started out as a sort of survival mechanism, I suppose, reduce uncertainty, reduce anxiety. But then as you incur more issues, you just learn to sort of think in your feet and deal with that. I do a lot of traveling now. Traveling as um, you know, someone in a wheelchair is very challenging, right? Getting on a plane is, is hard enough, but, you know, sort of, I went interrailing only a few sort of weeks or months ago, go so quick. But I know I'm going to incur issues and that's fine because I'm confident enough that when an issue arises that I've got these sort of tools to be able to deal with whatever comes up. So now I have very little stress or anxiety I recognize things are going to go wrong but I'm confident in myself that I'll be able to solve that issue as it comes up so yes it can be limiting initially but you know over time it, you know actually um, it really broadens the horizons uh, can I ask you about um have you ever been to the RICS building in London I haven't I went past it on uh on Tuesday though and yeah I did see the steps 
Yeah. So, um, cause I'm going to an event there uh, later on this week and you've now making made me, you know, there's always a, why is the event in London question when there's the rest of the, the country, yeah. but you know, you're also made me think, okay, well there's steps as you go in, you know, they've got their uh, lecture room and theater and library on the first floor, but they've got this really tiny little lift <laughs> around yeah. the corner, down, down the back. Yes. They've got a great roof terrace. Um, but even when you get the, the, lift to the top you know there's still a bit of navigating and, and stairs steps and that to, to get there so yeah it just made me think actually if our own headquarters isn't accessible yeah it's, it's not 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 a good image no something for result and the, the membership to think about i'm sure <laughs> yeah let me ask you i wanted to ask about your work so hmm. you you've talked um a lot about your your experience and thank you for for sharing that and indulging me with my <laughs> My random questioning: How have it? How has it shown up uh, in your work? Because if you're dealing with commercial sites, you know, are you able to go out to sites? Mm-hmm. You know, do your clients? How does? How do you navigate that? How? What have you noticed about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think your your due diligence comes in prior. I think you very much have to, if you are doing a, an inspection or you're meeting a client on site, you know, you do have to do those with health and safety checks a little bit more, I suppose, you know, you really have to understand the building quite well or the site before you go. So, you know, I've not had too, too many issues, to be honest, but but I do very much rely on my colleagues to do the majority of, of viewings and inspections. There's no need for me to do all of them. Uh, you know, I do, do make a point of going to all the buildings that I'm dealing with. But yeah, I mean, technology is, is fantastic now. They've got the Google Street View and satellites. You know, we do lots of virtual tours and things like that. So tech has been really, really helpful in helping me get a better understanding of the space without necessarily having to go up flights of stairs or, or, or find myself in some challenging situations. So again, it's just something that you adapt to. And, and you know, it is about that, as you said, about that teamwork, mm. you know, being part of a team that, that supports you and you can support them and find in a way that, that works so that you definitely. can you can be a surveyor. Yeah, most definitely. And they are, for example, they're very, very good at helping me deal with that. But then I help them in, in other remits. So I'm probably, well, I am the youngest in my firm. And so things like, tech and software <laughs> and all that sort of stuff always lands on my desk so you know it sort of uh, swings around and roundabouts so you've got this this platform now or you're sort of stepping into talking more about about diversity and accessibility and mm-hmm. and, and all of those things are you doing any uh, work with particular businesses or charities yeah, I think it's it's a space I'm very much looking at and working with in more detail. So, you know, I think I always have to sort of caveat some of these conversations. Yes, I am an individual with a disability and that is very rare in my space, but I am also, you know, a competent surveyor. And so you, you sometimes run the risk of being put on a, a, a pedestal or, or I don't know what they sort of refer to it as you know well it's well it's almost like it comes back to you know, that role model that pressure that yeah no i i don't think that that's it i i think they're two they're almost two distinct things 
that I that I try and emphasize. So yes, I do very much have my commercial surveyor, commercial agent role. And then sort of outside of my outside of my work is when I really participate in the events and the panels and, and really pushing that very important agenda. I think the two, as you rightfully say, as I'm starting to gain a little bit more of a platform in this space, I think they will start to merge a little bit more. So I very much am keen of, of working with businesses that also recognize this is a, a challenge, that see that their culture is evolving. And to, to do that, then they need a little bit more expertise. There are very many amazing surveyors in our field. I think we're, we're very lucky with the level of talent that we have in our industry, but there's nothing that can really compensate for personal experience. And so, yes, I, I'm very much looking to work with those sorts of businesses as well as charities in, in these spaces as well, because I think the, the business or the organization, the charity, I think their physical assets and their properties should be reflective of their general mission and values and things like that. And the two don't necessarily always correlate. So I'm very keen to, to sort of work in that space a little bit. Which is why actually, you know, I was thinking about the RICS building. Here we are as a profession that can, yeah, can make example. a difference. And for whatever reason, it's probably one of the most inaccessible buildings. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, it's, I don't know, is it listed? Maybe somebody mm-hmm. can tell us. Is it, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's restrictions over what you can, can and can't do. So in itself, it's a, it's a great, a challenge to think about well how can you make this work uh, uh, for people um, and, but, and it comes back to that positive positive problem solving as you're as you're talking um george you seem very positive very constructive you know in the in the how you've um, uh, approached this not to say that it sounds it sounds easy being in a wheelchair but you you sound like you've you've got it sorted i imagine it's not been that great or that easy you know all the time what have you found most challenging or challenging or what would you like us to most help with in in the profession Hmm, yeah in the profession yes I mean there definitely have been quite a few occasions over the years when I've just sort of gone oh my god am I really in the right industry you know it, it it is not a natural fit if anything some of some of the things is it's a contradiction you know the the issues are so large the challenges that you have to face it's you you sort of go you, you become i think a little overwhelmed at times and i very much have almost gone you know wouldn't it be so much easier working in a different industry rather than sort of you know constantly sort of trying to push water up a hill i think is, is the expression mm. so yes i very much have have questioned it but Saying that, we as a profession have so much influence over the built environment, right? We have so much sort of control and power into the sort of physical barriers at play for millions of people in this country. You know, if we talk about one in five or 20% of people have a disability, then someone has to do something. I I feel a sense of personal responsibility rather than a, you know, a, a sort of personal drive or think I'm going to benefit from it greatly, I know that something has to change, something has to, to shift, because the challenges that I face, I don't think are particularly fair or reasonable, 
And I don't really see anyone making great strides in this area. So, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's a significant challenge. I don't think, you know, I think I'll, I'll make a tiny little impact, but if that, you know, amounts to anything, then it will be worthwhile. My, my sort of caveat is, has always been, I recognize I'm a very lucky, privileged individual. I, I've sort of had a, had a good education, good family, you know, and I've sort of got all the things I generally need to have a, a you know a fairly happy and healthy life. Uh, my wheelchair is very fancy wheelchair. It's sort of um, you know a, a Mio. It's a Segway technology, which is really fast and nimble and fun. So you know that side of things is really enjoyable. So you know I recognise that I'm very fortunate and very lucky, and I probably would be fine if you know as it is, right? But I know that. As I say, millions of other people don't have those sorts of privileges, and so yeah, I it's I need to sort of lay a, a a better pathway or an easier pathway, and if that means that I have to do public speaking or fortunate enough to go on a podcast like this, then that's what you have to do. So that re- that that really resonates because that's how I feel about women. And female surveyors and it's, it's if you find yourself in a position where you can make a difference you know you can have a voice for people who don't have one then why wouldn't you you know and I and I've always sort of come come back to that sometimes why I speak out about all sorts of different things because somebody somebody has to and what's and this is where allyship isn't it that really really comes into comes into its own and the small things that people can do is listen to this podcast, share it with somebody, go on to the, um, you know, Ability RE website, which I can put on the you know, uh, show notes, mm-hmm. just find out, get curious, understand a bit more. Who else do you know in your network who might have a disability of some kind? It is okay to ask and to, and to find out and then come back to that positive problem solving, you know, mm-hmm. looking at, well, how can we help, can we help them all? Because it's just a good thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I think, if we are talking about one in five or 20% of the population, chances are you do know someone. If it's not yourself, almost certainly you have someone in your family or in your close network. You know, the challenge again is, is there's still an awful lot of stigma. You know, people don't know what to say. They don't know what's appropriate. And I suppose uh, the disability community haven't always helped with that because certain terminology is contentious. You know, even being labelled as disabled, some people don't like that, right? I've, I've got no issue with that. So it, it, it does put people a little bit, you know, makes them sort of a little bit uncomfortable to ask those questions. And I always think, you know, what's your intention behind those questions? George, it's been really, really good to talk to you. And thank you so much for being brave enough to come on the, the podcast, nice but time. but to share your, your journey as well. And um, we'll put some bits and pieces in the show notes, which people can have a look at. But thank you ever so much. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I'd really love to know your thoughts and insights on this podcast. So do drop me a message. If you're new to the Surveyor Hub, do check out some of our past recordings. And when you're ready, leave us a review on Google or Apple iTunes, or you can buy me a coffee. All the links are in the show notes.
And if you want to find out more about how working with me can help you support your surveying business journey, please do drop me a message or take a look at the many free resources for surveyors and small businesses at lovesurveying.com. Thank you.